You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. So good. Well, why don't we uh, rise and as we read God's word together, as the kids exit, uh, let's uh, get into 1 John if you have it in your Bibles or you can read it on the screen along with me. I'm going to read it for us and then we'll read it over and over through this time together. But uh, yes, let me, uh, let us read this word together. It is uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 11. It says this. You know no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Hates his brother, is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of God. Uh, you can grab a seat, and uh, as you grab a seat, just as a reminder, we have a bulletin. They're almost done, so I think most of you have them. If not, all of you have one already, and you can take notes on the back side of that. You can see the, the text that we're going through, and also that memory verse on the back, but what I'm, what I'm grabbing this for is the fact that we want to respond to God's word in all kinds of different ways. And, and as Cruz prayed for the kids, we want to, we want to also be praying for one another. And so there's a little tear spot there. And, and I would love for you to be the first or the second one. We've had one of these since we've started the bulletin. So be the second and third and fourth and the 18th person to drop a prayer request in the box back there that says give. So just fill out your name and email and uh, cell number would be great. And if there's a little box at the bottom as you write your prayer request, if you want just that to come to me, then just check that box and we'll keep it. But all the prayer requests will be going on a prayer letter that all the members of the church go to. And if you want to be on that, that list as well to be praying for these through the week, please uh, just email office at theshorechurch.ca and we'll add you to that prayer list as well. And you can be praying for these requests that come in. So please, let's, let's be praying for one another uh, considering this text that we're in. Well, as I give you that instruction, it's funny, I'm going to start with, what do you do with instruction? Right? What do you do with instruction when given instruction? Like, we, we can respond to instruction in actually multiple ways, right? Like, there's multiple ways we can respond to instruction. And, and the question is, do you love instruction? But with that, that's kind of a weighted question, right? Like, what do you do with instruction? Do you love it? Because you got to go, hold on, Jer. Uh, what is the instruction before I tell you if I love instruction or not? Right? It, re- it, it requires, like, understanding what the instruction is. Like, who's giving the instruction? Is it a wise instruction? Or is it a foolish one? Is it one that is actually going to build me up? Is it something that's about my kingdom that I want to do? I'm going to heed that instruction. Or is it something that's going to hurt me? Right? It all depends on what the instruction is, whether or not I like the instruction or not. 
See, typically we do three things with instruction. We either do the instruction and then actually pass on it and don't follow through. That's one way we can respond to an instruction. Another way we can respond to an instruction is by loving it. And a third way is by just straight up hating the instruction. See, in our text, we are going to discover a command and three responses to that command, three ways we can actually respond to an instruction. And so let me pray as we begin, and then we'll jump in. Jesus, uh, you give us all kinds of instruction in your, in your word. And how, our, how we respond to it is really what comes out of our heart. And so, Jesus, I pray, as we've been singing already, that you will be our rescuer, that you will be the one we are in love with, that even as Cruz is praying to you uh, for these other kids, his, his classmates, his peers, um, that they would fall deeply in love with you, that uh, I pray for my peers as well. I pray for this church in its entirety, kids all the way up to adults, that we will love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we will heed that instruction, that command that you've given us to love God and love our neighbors. And so please, Jesus, help us as we discover these things, these challenges that are given to us this morning and how we respond to them. Help us, Jesus, challenge us that we might live up to the challenge and also live up to your holy name, that we will uh, worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the line there is on the screen. It's uh, this morning, the command, you see this, like John's been doing this now a couple times. He gives us a command and he kind of lays out a couple points based on that command and he does this again in this section that we're covering today. And you see a command in chapter or verses seven and eight and then he, he unpacks kind of the, dece- the, the, the deceiver in verse nine, the lover in verse 10 and the hater in verse 11. And we can, we're gonna walk through that together. But let's start in the command the command that we've been given to us. In verse 7 and 8, if you look at it either on your bulletins or in your Bibles that you have in front of you, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says this again. It says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So let's break this down. Let's, let's start in verse 7. And what we're going to do is we're going to cover verse 8 right at the end. So verse 7, it says, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. See, this word that John is reminding us, has been reminding us right from the get-go, right from the beginning of chapter 1. And he's referring to as, as one that goes back all the way to this commandment, is going all the way back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's going back to that time. He's going back to the one that is an old commandment, all the way back to Moses' writings. See, I'll show you a few spots that God has actually been saying the same thing since the beginning. This is no new commandment. In Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 18, it says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Or in Deuteronomy 6, 49, this is known as the Shema, the, 
Israelites would say this and write it on the walls, on the doorposts, write it everywhere. They would teach this to the kids. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Imagine if we just live that out. Like this would entirely change your life. Like Jesus quotes this Shema in Mark chapter 12, and then he follows it with, and the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. See, this is, this is to shape our entire life, how you live, what you believe, what you teach your children, these little children up here, what your most important task is as a parent is to teach them about Jesus. It says it right here as a command and an instruction from the Lord to train them up, to teach them in this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is incredibly important instruction to love God and love others. In a few weeks, we will see this again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Again, John repeats himself. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. It's over and over again in this little letter. That you, we should love one another. Should. If you sneak ahead into 2 John, you see it again in verse 5 and 6. It says, and now I ask you, dear lady... Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And then he goes on to say, this is how you love someone. And this is, this is love, that we walk according to God's commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. That we should walk in it. Remember, this is the Apostle John, the one, we, the one who t walked beside Jesus for years, that has seen Jesus in action, that has heard him preach and teach and lead others to Christ, that they touched, that they do he documented travels, miracles, sayings, and key events. One of those key events must have been, I could imagine, one of those key events would be him and all the other disciples sitting around the table, and then Jesus kneeling down and washing, the, washing their feet. And Jesus in John 13, 14 through 17, then follows it up and says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another, another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Like, just slow down and think about what he's saying. He's using washing the feet as an example. Look at what I've done for you. This is, and fill in the blanks, the many blanks that he has done for us. 
this is how I want you to treat one another. And in verse 16, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then further down in verse 34 to 35 of the same chapter, he says this. This is Jesus saying this. A new commandment I give to you. Sound familiar? John, remember in chapter 1, John is teaching what Jesus proclaimed, right? That's what First John is all about. This is the Jesus that I've heard and seen, and now I'm proclaiming his message to you. That's why I'm writing these things. And this is what Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, this is a commandment of old and is commanded of us today. We, along with those this letter was originally written to, will respond to this command in one of three ways. We will either be deceptive, we will either love it, or we will hate it. So let's look at those three points. And those responses will be coming out of our heart they will see the fruit of our faith. So let's look at the first, the deceiver in verse nine. It reads this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. See, like last week in chapter two, verse four, we saw the same deception. We didn't just see it, but we didn't just see it in chapter two. We also saw it in chapter one, verses six, eight, and 10. And the idea here is John is repeating himself over and over again so that we get this idea that when you say one thing but do the opposite, you're living a lie. You're living a lie of deception. You are being a deceiver. And it ought to be a warning to us. See, this is a letter to the church. We aren't immune to this type of behavior, but the dead nature that used to reside in us is still being a nuisance, isn't it? Still being a nuisance. I confess last week here behind the pulpit that it, was hard, it is hard for me to love my neighbor. And I confessed again to my community group that this is hard. And this week has been a challenge for me. And I've confessed it because I want you to be accountable to me. I want your help. And that's what the church is. And that's what I, we see in Scripture. I, I just see it so clearly that we are called to confess to one another and, and walk beside one another and help each other and endure with one another and, and encourage one another and also admonish one another in this. See, I have to work on this. I have to put to death the things within me that, was, that want to get to the surface. And this isn't a joke. Right? This is, these are the commands of God here. We are called to change. We are called to work. It says it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, one of, a very famous verse that we all have seen many times before and also in millions of other areas in the Scripture. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your body as a sacrifice. That means lay your old nature down and kill it. 
to sacrifice yourself for someone else and ultimately that you might be holy before God. It says to be holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And it goes on. This is how we are to respond to these instructions. We are called to lay ourselves down for the sake of another. When someone asks for a shirt, Jesus says famously, give them your jacket as well. See, we don't need to ask God if we should love our neighbor, right? And we might be praying like, man, this neighbor is really frustrating to me. I don't know what I should do to him. Jesus, what should I do with my neighbor? I really don't like him. Well, it already said, God's kind of going, well, I hear your prayer, but I've already given you the answer for that. What else do you want? Like, I've given you that answer, so just heed what I've already said. Love him. Or her. Love your neighbor. See, it's way easier to hold grudges, isn't it? And it's way easier to say what someone wants to hear and then go and do the opposite when you're home, behind closed doors. See, we aren't going to go to our neighbor and tell them, maybe some of you will, I don't know, <laughs> go to your neighbor and say, like, I hate you, you're disgusting, and, and I can't stand your face. We're probably not going to go to our neighbor and say that. We probably go, hey, nice to see you again. Thanks for shoveling the snow. Good to see you. And then maybe mumble under your breath on the way back to your door. Man, that guy ticks me off. We're being deceptive. We're being the deceiver. See, to deceive your spouse with fake actions, do we do that? What about deceiving your boss with work? Or deceive yourself with lies? See, the command to love them is massive. It's a hard one. See, when you are not upfront with your love, you're not in the light, it says in the scripture. And remember, God is light, so you're not in God in those moments. But in actuality, you are in darkness. Like, what if you were in the presence of Jesus? Like, in the very presence of Jesus. You walked, like, with John in the, in the text. And you're, you're with him. You heard him. You see him. You hear him proclaiming and teaching this. He says, love your neighbor. Would that change how you respond? What if you're in the presence of God the Father, like, in the throne room, like, in the holy of holies, his presence is right before you, shining as bright as any light you've ever seen, you're on your face because you can't stand the holiness and you're worshiping. And then he says, Jer, love your neighbor. Would that change? This is what I've been dealing with this week. What is changing me? Is there change in me? See, if we're honest, our deception is everywhere. 
how you deal with your kids, the teachers or other parents at school, the person cutting the line at the grocery store or in traffic, what you are viewing on social media, on your laptop or phone when you know no one else is around, who you are texting, what you dream about during the day, what you think when someone walks by you, what you think when someone bumps into you or takes your parking spot or does things differently than you. Like it could be as simple as eating and chewing or sleeping making noises that frustrate you. Amen? Are you loving them? Or even play sports with? See, if God were to look at your last week, would he find deception? Would he find deception? See, friends, this whole letter is to spark sanctification in us. John is loving us by sharing this. He's loving the church. Be going, be awakened to this. Friends, this is a big ask to walk in love with your neighbor. It's to spark sanctification, to remind us of what Jesus has already proclaimed to us and then do it. And then do it. So we can knowingly be be the deceiver as we begin to really check what is going on within our hearts, but we can also be deceived, can we not? We can actually listen every Sunday and believe in our hearts that we are saved eternally and be completely separate from God. Do you believe that? That someone can go to church all their life and be completely separate from God the whole time? Like that, that's a big statement. But it actually says it in the Scripture. It says it really clearly in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I've read this before in this context of this book. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not teach your words and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will Jesus declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is serious. I'm reading through Job right now in my devotions, and I'm not sure I'm not there yet, but at the end of the book of Job, you have all the three friends being rebuked by God because of their deceptive words to Job. And God asked Job, forgive these people, and if you don't forgive them, I won't. He rebukes them for their language about who he is. They're deceived. They think they're thinking rightly about who God is, but they're not. They're deceived. Or Jesus to the Pharisees. Again, people that thought deep in their hearts that they're saved. They're teachers, and Jesus rebukes them, woe to you, rebuking them for being teachers of the Scriptures, but having no idea what it is actually saying. Friends, do we know do we challenge ourselves in these, in these ways? 
Are we changing weekly to become more like Him? Or are we just the same every single day? Abusing grace. So when you have a verse that says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness, it has to do something to you. That's a big statement. It has to challenge you just a little bit. Am I loving my neighbor? And if I'm not, am I working on changing? Like Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It is, it is one of Jesus' most famous sermons And in that sermon, if you read through it, it is blessed are those who do things, right? Like it's blessed, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker with your neighbor? And then it talks about being being salt and light in your community. How are we doing in that? Dealing with your anger. Like not just allowing it to continue to run the same course it's been running for 20 years. Dealing with the lust of your mind and your eyes. Like Jesus is stepping up the Ten Commandments here. Like one of them is Matthew 5, 28, where it says, uh, like you know, like you've committed adultery when you've slept with your neighbor's wife. And Jesus goes one step further and goes, if you've looked at someone with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. Are you dealing with it? And then oaths and anxiety, are you dealing with it? Or how you judge others and and what you're praying and and actually living out, uh, looking at others more greater than yourself. And then it ends in chapter 7 with, you will recognize them by their fruits, good or bad. And not everyone who says to me, but in verse 24 it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, this sermon, does, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Are we being deceptive? Am I loving my neighbor truly? Well, let's look at the second response. I'll leave you questioning that. The second response is in verse 10. It's the lover. It says this, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Think about this. When you abide, and this is the second time abide is actually used in in 1 John. It's the second time. In the next three chapters, it's used 21 times. That's crazy. 21 times in three chapters. Do you think it's important? Yes. This word, when you abide... It's essentially you are living a life of obedience and love. This means darkness cannot be around when light is present. And I've said this before. You can't say you're obedient when you're actually being disobedient. You might be deceived in that. 
You're either being obedient to the kingdom of God or you are not. There isn't a both and option. When you love your brother, you are abiding in God. And when abiding in God, you see and will not stumble, it says. And abiding can be translated to, to the word stay or continue or endure. So let's read this verse again with those words connected into it. It's on the screen. It says, whoever loves his brother stays continues, endures, abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. See, to love your brother is to remain in Christ. You're, you're showing love by way of your enduring in Jesus. See, this concept of walking or abiding in light is not a one and done concept, but again, found in many areas of Scripture. And we see this in, Je- in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 10. It says, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not, not outside of him. The light is not in him. The light's not in him. See, where's the light? It's not some outside source of light, but it's actually in you. So you may be confronted with temptation that is outside of you, but because you have the light of Jesus in you, you don't stumble. You say no. You can battle with the fruit of the Spirit like self-control and love and peace and joy and patience. So you wage war against it. You walk in holiness without stumbling around because God resides in you. Now, this doesn't mean you never sin, but when you sin, you quickly, like 1 John chapter 1, 9 says, you confess it. As I've confessed here and also in my community group, and I will continue to do so because I am not even close to being holy. So you wage war against it. You walk in holiness without stumbling around because God resides in you. Proverbs 4.19 says a similar thing. It says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They're, they're deceived by what is going on around them. Or 2 Peter 1, verse 10. The previous verses, such a great text. If you go all the way back to verse 3 of 2 Peter 1, it talks of some character qualities that we should all actually strive for. These character qualities are virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Then it says this, Therefore, with all these character qualities, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Be diligent in confirming it. Meaning, do some hard work in what is going on in you and confess it to a brother or sister. For if you practice these qualities of virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love, you will never fall. So to be loving is a practice, is an action of what you hold to be true. If you say you love Jesus, then our actions ought to follow, correct? If I say I love pizza but never taste pizza in my life, I'm a deceiver. If I say I love pizza and eat pizza like I did yesterday, twice out of three meals, I love pizza, right? My, my actions confirmed my statement. And I could have it two, two more times today because I love pizza. 
Right? So again, to love your brother is to remain in Christ. You are showing love by way of your enduring in Jesus. But let's look at this verse in context, and it kind of sets it up for my last point. But in contrast, I mean, not in context, in contrast, to hate your brother is to deny God. To hate your brother is to deny God. I'm not sure if you ever thought about it. That when you hate your brother, when you act or in friction with your brother, essentially you're hating God. And John hits this. He hits this in this next verse that we're going to cover, but he also hits it in 1 John chapter 4. He says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot. Not sometimes. It says cannot love God whom he has not seen. So remember, we have a command from the beginning to love our neighbor, going all the way back to Moses. We also have Jesus telling us that this is the second greatest commandment. You can either be deceptive in this commandment, this instruction that you've been given, or you can love it and strive for it and endure, or you can hate it. And that's the fourth point here. You can hate it. The third way to respond to the command. Verse 11, it says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So again, if you hate your brother, like no desire for reconciliation. Like the Holy Spirit is not working in you going, you know what? I need to change this. I'm having a hard time. I'm battling it. No, Take all that away. I just hate him and I don't desire any reconciliation. Then you're most likely, according to 1 John here, not a Christian. You're a liar and you are living in a world of deception. Church, this is not me saying this. This is Jesus' words which he proclaimed, which John is again sharing with us. The Jesus the apostles touched, heard, saw, had their feet washed by, and his message is to us as well. Friends, there are instructions everywhere on this. The commands in the Bible are not to be messed with. See, in our community group this past week, we, I had the question that I had everybody walk, go around the circle and ask, answer is, what command of God is it hard out? the command of God. And then let's keep each other accountable. We need to do more of. That's the church, isn't it? That's what the church ought to be, using the gifts and the talents that, that we have been given to actually encourage and to lift up one another and to pray for and to help each other in this. Not to allow it, not to joke it off, but to go, you know what? This is what I struggle with. And I need help. See, we need one another. That we might trust more in the Lord. That we might believe upon his promises. That we might hold tightly to the commands he's called us to live. That we might love each other. See, Jesus loved us perfectly. He loved us perfectly by way of the cross. He lived his life perfectly that we might trust in him. He paid our penalty of sin complete, in full. 
if we put our trust and our faith in him. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to remind us when we do fall that we might confess that sin to him and bring it back to Christ and he's willing to forgive us over and over and over again. That's the beauty of Christianity, that we might become more like him, that we might be sanctified, that this is a road of sanctification. And that's verse 8, the last half of it. Turn there. It says, the command of love, which we've been talking about, which is true in Jesus and in you. And this is a, by way of encouragement from John. It's true in you. I see it in you, as he's writing this letter. Because, why do I say this? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Friends, this is the road of sanctification. And we all are walking in this journey, at least we ought to be, moving in a direction of holiness, moving in a direction of, of, of Jesus, to become holy as he is holy. And like 2 Corinthians 3.18 is changing from one degree of holiness to the next, moving towards Christ's likeness. This is the goal of a Christian. Because we don't want to abuse the grace he's given us. We want to live for him. Like it says over and over in Jesus' sermon, to walk in him, to abide in him, to live for him in all that you do. May we be like this as a church. May we surrender the things that we are battling that are not of him. Stop deceiving, stop hating, and let's start loving. Let's start loving Jesus' commands to the point where, man, I need to deal with this every single day in my life. May this be our church. May this be me. I want to give you a good example of that as best as I possibly can, that I want to surrender the sin of my heart. And so let's pray together. As Ryan and Johnny come on up, let's pray together. Let's, let's ask the Lord in your own heart, even as I pray, just pray in your, in your minds, in your, in your own hearts, in your, in your head, that, that you will surrender the thing that maybe you've been battling, that is hard for you. And, and may this be a time of just surrender and just laying it over to the Lord today, that we might be lovers of his word that we might be lovers of his commands and his instructions. So let me, let me pray. Jesus, I do pray that. I come before you in, in, in your courtroom, in your temple, that you've invited us in because of the shed blood that you did on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that you are a, our, our intercessor. You are our intermediate. You are a mediator between us and the Father that we come before you. And Jesus, please, through your Holy Spirit, continue to reveal our hearts in the language that we use about other creations of yours. Please take those things away from us. Help us be holy as you are holy. Help us speak of other people with love and, and grace and joy as you've given us love and grace. So even as John says in, in chapter four, or in chapter one, verse four, like may our joy be complete in you, Lord, because of all that you have done. And may our faith grow in the beautiful sacrifice that you 
lived out for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. And may our faith grow in that amazing event that took away our sin, that we might now live for you in the rest of our days. Help us, Jesus. Be followers of you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And help us love our neighbor as you've loved us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.